Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. All right now. Yeah. Welcome to the movement, baby. We're going to change education. Check out shungleblake.com. I'll say it again, shungleblake.com. Teach and reading uniquely to reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous to the people across this nation. Eagerly anticipating a sound from the streets that's so unique it'll transform education. This is school, the killing field, where they kill a lover learning and our children for real. That's the deal. Now we gotta change things around, close gaps down. This a new sound, true school. This is this radio show, shovelvic.com, flow, in case you wait, no. And now we gonna change things. One school at a time, one rhyme at a time. Yeah, we gonna shine. Time to shine media, yes. Yeah, we've been blessed putting suckers to the test. So, teaching reading, so uniquely. That's right. Gotta make you think deeply. Uh, teaching reading uniquely. To reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous to the people across this nation. Welcome. Welcome to another week of True School Radio brought to you by the Keys 107 Network. I am your host, Shungo Blake, also known as Mr. B, also known as the Hip Hop Principal. But the best title that I like is Brother because Brother simply means the other part of yourself. Uh, Before we get started, I want to invite you to call in with your comments, your questions, your concerns. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if this show is really helping you uh, in terms of issues in education. And let us know what kind of topics you would like us to cover. Uh, You can call us at 213-943-3618 and press number 1. On the keypad. I'll say that one more time. 213-943-3618. Press number one on your keypad if you have any questions or comments. Um, let me just start off by uh, letting you know, uh, I, I said this uh, last week, um, that we would be starting our Historically Black College Tour this spring. And this weekend, Saturday at 11 o'clock in Jamaica, Queens, we will be having our first workshop. Now, the first workshop is a very important one. It's free to the community, even if you don't decide to go on a tour. This is very valuable and important information. The first workshop will be understanding the college application process. I cannot tell you how many times students who are qualified to get into uh, decent colleges and universities miss out on that opportunity because they missed the deadline, they didn't have an uh, essay written, or they didn't have the necessary recommendations. Little things like that can disqualify you from the process. So this Saturday, 11 o'clock, we will be dealing with understanding the college application process. Uh, we'll be hosting a workshop at the VIP program on 161st Street in Jamaica Avenue, at the 161st Street in Jamaica, California, Jamaica Queens. If you would like more information, you can go to my website, www.shungleblake.com, or go on to Facebook and visit my Facebook page, which is facebook.shungleblake.com, 
for more information about the workshop and the historically black college tour as a whole. And I want to say, this college tour is going to be, and it's not really a tour, really, brothers and sisters. It's an experience. It's, it's, it's an experience that, that covers every aspect of the human being, mental, physical, spiritual. We're going on a journey, and we want to take our young people and expose them to things that they have not seen before. We have to take them out of the five boroughs of New York City or whether it's Newark, New Jersey, or whether it's Yonkers, New York, and take them and allow them to see a different environment, see young people who look like them, who come from the same neighborhoods that they come from, and who are... Please enjoy this Verizon ringback tone while your party is reached. Jungle here. Uh, yes, I'm sorry about that technical difficulty. We will be with you in just a second. Um, so we want to uh, create the kind of environment where our young people are, can actually not be preached to, but actually be exposed to the historically black colleges and universities. And that's, uh, that is the goal. Let them see young people who look like them. Let them see black professors who are going to push them. Let them be motivated by those who can be an example for them and take them out of the, 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 the limited environment that they're in and show them a greater environment. You know, when I was uh, putting together or going to the schools, uh, I, I visited a couple of schools uh, in Queens to give out flyers and promote the Historically Black College Tour. And I have to tell you, I went to one school and I was shocked shocked by the, I can't say shocked, just disappointed by the conditions that I saw. I walked into the, as soon as you walked into the to, to the school door, complete, utter chaos. Thousands of students hanging in the hallways, didn't look like they had any attention to going to class. Security screaming at the students, deans blowing whistles and talking on bullhorns, young people horseplaying, cursing, and talking about everything but academics. And it just it just it just hurt my heart to see that because I know that when these young people graduate from high school, they're not prepared for what's next, and it doesn't seem like there's an urgency to get them prepared. It seems as if people are comfortable with the status quo and allowing our young people to constantly fail and they just push them through the system. And so when I think about that and I think about the Black College Tour again. I, I, I can't stress enough how important it is to take our young people out of the environment that they're in and push them into a different kind of experience so that they can know that there's a, a world beyond high school and they have to start thinking about their life and what kind of decisions that they're going to make. Um, I went to another high school that was in a predominantly white and Asian neighborhood. The students were engaged in the learning process. They were making their way to class. There was no, no whistleblowing. Uh, there was no horn, bullhorn, to, to rustle them into class as if you're rustling cattle or sheep. Tale of two cities. You know, I think we're dealing really in, in New York City with educational apartheid. There's, a, there's a, a learning experience and process for one set of students, and there's a learning experience and process for a different set of students, and a lot of times it has a lot to do with the adults. 
Let me give you an example. Right now, Mayor Bloomberg and the teachers' union are in a stalemate over teacher evaluation. If they do not sign a deal to or come up with an agreement on how teachers in New York City will be evaluated, New York City stands to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, who does that affect? What communities does that affect? Couldn't that money be used to put innovative programs in the school, extra help, hire more qualified teachers to get the ball rolling, uh, to start to make an impact on what's happening? But both of them are dug in. There's a, a no no diplomatic language coming from both sides. And meanwhile, our children are held hostage because they don't get the necessary resources that they need because you have the mayor on one hand who refuses to budge, the union on the other hand who's being recalcitrant, not coming to the table and doing what's in the best interest of our city children. Then you have the bus strike. Bus Bus strike is going on right now. School buses are not operating. And who does that affect? It affects the most the students that are in, in, in the greatest amount of need, special needs students who need to have buses to take them to and from school. What is the economic impact of that? How does that affect a parent or a single parent who's trying to get to work and relies on the bus to get their child to school? These are all issues that that are, are taking place and then when we want to point the blame, who do we blame? We blame the children. But there's some adults that are making some decisions that are impacting uh, how the children, or, or, or let me say this, they're impacting the environment that the children are coming up in. Now, today, uh, in Far Rockaway, Queens, uh, there was a, a two-year-old, uh, not two-year-old, a second grader who brought a loaded gun into a school in Far Rockaway and the school was on lockdown. And and this is the kind of environment and chaos that our children are going to school. And they're dealing with adults who can't get along. They're dealing with violence in the school. They're dealing with uh, bus strikes, just a challenge just to get to school. I mean, out of all that, you still have students who rise to the occasion and were college ready. And so I think that we need to give those students an opportunity to see that there's a life outside of the environment that exists while we work on improving the environment. Please enjoy this Verizon Ringback Tone while your party is reached. Uh, uh, Mr. Producer, what's going on with the... Hello? Hello, who's this? Hello? I'm sorry, but I'm constantly getting in my ear uh, a Verizon Ringback Tone, and it's affecting... um, uh, the broadcast. So I hope that the producers can get that fixed because this is a very, very important show. Um, so what I was saying is that our children are going through a lot in terms of the environment. They're going through a lot in terms of overcoming, I mean, several barriers. So when they become college-ready, we have to make sure that we get them into schools that are going to nurture them, support them, and and make sure that they accomplish the goal, which is graduation. If you remember last week's show, it was titled Alarming Amount of New York City Students Do Not Graduate or Graduate from High School Unprepared for College, and they end up dropping out. And that was a replay that I played 
uh, with my father, Professor Blake, because this is a serious, serious issue. So, you know, we have to think about not just preparing them to graduate from high school, but to make sure they graduate with the prerequisite skills that will maximize or optimize their experience in college to make sure that they're successful. So when we get back, we're going to uh, talk this week uh, and kick off this, co- uh, this Get Ready for College series by examining the importance of historically black college and universities. I look forward to talking to our guests who I'll introduce you to uh, right after this commercial break. This portion of The Keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. On Blog Talk Radio was brought to you by The Fluffs Present the Alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. This portion of the key was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. The Keys 107 Radio Guide. The following reside within the Eastern Standard Time Zone. Sunday evenings from 8 to 9.30. Unlawful captives. Issues within and without the prison industrial complex. With your host, Jason X. And special guest hosts, Brother Richard Muhammad and Brother Abdul Salam Muhammad. Monday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Build your business with Greg Jones. Hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad. Secrets and Strategies of Business Building, Credit and Finance. Tuesday, question, when did Noah build the ark? Answer, before the flood. Disaster preparedness for community awareness with your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad, from 4 to 5, 20 p.m. Tuesdays from 5.30 to 6.30. Join the worldwide Peacekeepers Movement with the Peacekeepers Roll Call. Captain Dennis Muhammad and the Peacekeepers, hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad. 
Tuesdays from 7 to 9, Respect for Life, with your host, Brother Leroy, exploring timely and important topics and guests fostering knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Wednesday evening from 6 to 7 p.m., it's Urban, it's Popular, it's Hoodrich Magazine, with your host, J.R. Strong. Join the Keys 107, Divas of Culture, Sisters Michelle Mateer and Aisha Karifa Smart for Creatively Speaking, bringing you the best in diasporic art, culture, leisure, and spirituality from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Thursday evening, our flagship show, The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities with your host, Sister Rafika Muhammad and Brother James T. Muhammad from 6 p.m. to 7.45 from 8 to 9 p.m., join hosts Sister LaShawn Allen Muhammad and Brother Malik Green for Black Reconstruction, building the black community with bricks of knowledge and mortar of love. From 9.30 to 10.30, True School with your host Shango Blake as he brings parents, students, and educators together to deconstruct the school-to-prison pipeline. Friday evenings will be a Keys 107 special marathon. Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m., State of Affairs with your host, Stan Smith, Culture and Political Affairs of the Caribbean Diaspora. 7 to 9.30, The Communicators with your host, Black Leroy, Everything Black from a Black Perspective. The Keys 107, Unlocking the Doors to Endless Possibilities. www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Keys 107 or call in at 213-943-3618. Email us at thekeys107 at gmail.com. If The Keys 107 isn't on your blog talk radio, then your blog talk radio isn't really on. The Keys 107 Network now returns us to True School with your host, Sandra Blake. Yes, brothers and sisters, welcome back to True School with your host, Brother Shango. Um, again, if you would like to call in, our number is 213-943-3618. Press number one on your keypad. And I just want to apologize before for the little technical difficulty. I think we have that under control, and we're going to get right into the show. I want to start off by reading an article that I read <clears throat> in reference to the, the importance and the benefit of historically black college university and universities, and then I want to go right into introducing our guests. Uh, this article states that a world without HBCUs would be a world without the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., or the media impact of Oprah Winfrey. King is a graduate of Morehouse College, and Winfrey graduated from Tennessee State University. It's been 173 years since the first historically black college or university was established, but in the age of Obama, some people are asking, are HBCUs still relevant? As recently as 1960, 70% of all black college students attended an HBCU, but the percentage has declined. More black students are enrolling in majority institutions than ever before. College and universities across the country are seeking the enrollment of the brightest black students, causing HBCUs to compete for their normal student base. With homecoming, football games, battles of the band, step shows, receiving national publicity, 
Many are forgetting the significant and, and educational opportunities HBCUs still offer to today's society. In February, President Obama signed the executive order to strengthen the White House initiative on HBCUs. Obama proposed a budget increase with the funding for renovation, repair, construction, new loans, and the historically black graduate instruction program. They are the campuses where people were educated, where a middle class was built, where a dream took hold, said Obama. They are places where generations of African Americans have gained a sense of their heritage, their history, and their place in the American story. Attentive teachers in small class sizes means I'm not just another face that Ashley Barham, a biology major at Bennett from Newark, New Jersey. The small class settings allow me to have closer relationships with my professor. For Troy Shine, a 2009 Morehouse graduate from Paramount, California, who also attended a traditional university, he says Morehouse provided him a mentor and networking opportunities. Before, I was a black guy at a school, said Shrine, but at Morehouse, I was just a man at a school. I wasn't a stigma. Lawrence Bacow was appointed by Obama to serve on the Board of Advisors on HBCUs. He says, I understand the importance of having HBCUs. Uh, these institutions play a critical role in providing uh, access and opportunity to so many people. Well, what are the benefits? HBCUs go beyond academics by providing students with emotional support. University of South Carolina grad John Hancock is now doing graduate work at North Carolina A&T University. He says the student-to-teacher connection is, uh, is felt more at an HBCU, and he believes this family spirit derives from professors who were once HBCU students themselves. Although HBCUs only account for 3% of the nation's colleges, they graduate over 50% of black professionals. According to I'll Find a Way to Make One by Juan William and Dwayne Ashley, Florida A&M University has outranked Harvard University in the number of national achievement scholars it enrolls. Tuskegee University graduated 80% of blacks who practice veterinary medicine, while Xavier University places more blacks into medical school than any other college in the U.S. 50% of black women with science and doctorates are alumni of Bennett or Spelman College. Arkansas Baptist College has a 100% graduation rate. Spelman follows at 81%, then Howard at 59%. Higher, higher graduation and lower dropout rates prove. And this is so important because I just spoke about how many of our students are graduating from high school and they're not prepared for college. But you can see the track record of the HBCUs and the graduation rates and what kind of scholars they're producing. So I want to get now right into uh, our guests who have made it a business model in terms of supporting and the promotion of HBCUs as a brand. Um, this week's guest is Thomas and Joanne Garcia, founder of HBCU Kids Inc. and HBCUKids.com, a website that encourages our children to attend HBCUs and understand the historic values and tradition. Um, 
Mr. Uh, Garcia is a VP of Sales and Marketing at HBU, uh, HBCU Kids, Inc. Uh, he's had experience in alternative education facilities for Broward County Public Schools. He's been a juvenile counselor, dropout prevention specialist, probation officer, and he's a proud member of Omega Sci-Fi fraternity. His wife, Joanne, uh, has been an Internet business analyst and children's gift consultant for HBCU kids, substitute teacher uh, at Middlesex County Head Start Elementary Middle School, family property investment specialist, a senior consultant for OPEX Career Consultant, Inc., manager, district of sales uh, uh, for Eli Lilly, a company in Orlando, Florida, former pharmaceutical sales representative, a financial analyst intern, um, associate training and development for Eli and company in Indiana, uh, no, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, a marketing intern for, I hope I say this right, Dell Loti Touch Consulting Group in Johannes, uh, South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. So they have a wealth of experience in terms of education and business, and I think they've brought these two backgrounds and experience to bear with their particular brand. So I would like to welcome you both to the show. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm I'm great and I and I want to say first of all it's an honor to uh, to speak to an alumni of Hampton University um, and and I want to get right into uh, this particular uh, subject of the relevance and the importance of HBCUs. Um, first, I want to ask you and anyone of you can jump in. Uh, I'll both ask you both of you if, if you may because you might have different reasons. Why did you decide to attend a historically black college? Well, we, we both have different reasons. Um, mine was, well, my, everybody in my family pretty much went to an HBCU. My sister graduated from Hampton, and my brother had graduated from Virginia State. My uncle had graduated from Virginia State. And my mom had attended Virginia Union until she started mm-hmm. her family. So I was determined not to attend an HBCU. My guidance wow. counselor pushing me and some of the other, um, you know, quote-unquote honor students to attend, you know, Yale or Princeton or Harvard or wherever we could, you know, get into. And my mom told me, is that man going to pay your tuition if for whatever reason you run out of scholarship money and you can't complete it? She says, because if you start at Harvard and you graduate from community college, your diploma is not going to say Harvard, it's going to say community college. And she said, you know you have a support system if you attend an HBCU. I still wasn't convinced that, you know, that was going to determine where I went to school. I said, well, fine, I'll get my own money some kind of way. But I went to a leadership conference in September of my senior year in high school, and I was class president. All my friends were officers. We worked really hard to get there. We were one of, say, 10 out of hundreds of people there that were African-Americans. Everybody else was white or Asian or Latino or, you know, some other designation. But we were the, the 10, quote-unquote, token blacks at this retreat. And that's how mm. they treated us. Not that we earned our place as winning the election or campaigning, but that for some reason we must have attended an all-black school, which we did not. So wow. they kept shutting us out of all of the opportunities to network, 
They would not allow us to attend any of the social things. It was normal, you know, like discrimination, no blacks allowed, but it was very subtle. And I realized, wow, there are no adults here to force them to make them accept us. They're doing what they naturally feel like doing. And by the end of the four-day retreat, I looked around and I said, you know what? I didn't gain anything from being here. It defeated the purpose. If I was only going to stick with my nine other friends, we could have stayed back in our hometown and did that. And I told them, you know what? I'm going to uh, going to an HBCU. I said, because I don't want to have to deal with this nonsense for the next four years. I have the rest of my life to put up with this crap. I don't want to have to deal with this for the next four years. For the next four years, I want to be judged by who I am, not the color of my skin. And so that's, yeah, that's what true. kind of made me relook at the HBCU experience. And, I, and I'm very grateful that at age 17 I had that wisdom. Yes, and I was going to say, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a common experience because education isn't just going to school learning books and, and, and facts, but there's a whole social aspect to school as well. And there's been many who've gone to traditional uh, colleges in this country, and, yeah, they might have gotten a quality education, but they also speak about the social isolation that they felt on campus. And we're going to get to that, you know, down the line when I ask you a, a couple of more questions. But uh, what was your experience like, Thomas? Well, um, for me, I guess I, I attended HBCU on a technicality. Um, I was recruited by some of the some of the big universities out of, coming out of high school, and at at the end of the um, rec- the recruiting phase, everybody pulled out. So a friend of mine that I played football with, he said um, he signed with Hampton. I said, well, I guess I'll go too. So he and I, um, he and I um, signed with Hampton University, and we went on to play at Hampton. And looking back over the years, I'm glad that I I did choose to play for Hampton than to go to one of the big universities because of all of the friendships that I have, uh, the relationships that 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 occurred over the years, and and going back to some of the guys that I who did went on to play at the big university. If I may say, when I say big university, I mean the big white universities. Okay. Uh, their life after football really they don't really have no friendship with the the people they that they attended school with unless mm-hmm. they play unless they play football they may have some type of relationship with them but I have a relationship with people who um who I played football with and also who was um uh, in school uh, academically and uh, I mean whatever the case or whatever the reason for uh, for being there. So that's one of the reasons why I am most happy for being a HBCU graduate, and my kids, they better be one too. <laughs> I think they will be. You know, I I, I remember I, I just remember being from New York City, and I grew up in a in a, in the height of uh, the, the the crack epidemic. It was, it was serious serious issues right in my community and neighborhood. And I never forget, uh, I was in high school, and I didn't know what I was going to do in terms of 
college period, and one of the counselors said, hey, why don't you come on this black college tour, you know, we'll see what's going on. I took the fly home, kind of half heartedly showed it to my parents. They said, yeah, why don't you go? And I went. And um, I never forget, you know, I, I got on the tour. We first, I think we first visited uh, Lincoln and Morgan, and it was okay. And then I hit Hampton University. And I got to tell you, you know, the, you, you know the thing that really, really grabbed me at Hampton? More than anything else? Waterfront. It wasn't, it, it, yeah, it was the water. There you go. <laughs> it wasn't, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't even know if I heard what they said in terms of, you know, what programs they have to offer or what have you. All I saw was the Chesapeake Bay and that beautiful campus. And I said, this is where I want to be. And, and I think, you know, and I learned later on about what programs I wanted to study and what have you, but it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the uh, of the top of the show that just taking a young person out of an environment and putting him in a new one and, and, and letting him or her see is such a powerful, powerful uh, uh, experience that it can have a, a transformative effect on a person who gets an opportunity to be exposed to something different. Wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. Now, I had in mind what a college campus should look like. And when I went visiting other campuses that were in more, I would say, like urban settings, um, they didn't match what I wanted to see, you know. And I didn't think I would ever see a campus like Hampton that was, you know, mostly African-American, but beautiful, you know, with the flowers, with the trees, with the squirrels, all of that, you know. and I have no regrets the four years that I've spent on that campus. Yes. Now, listen, here's what I want to ask both of you. What 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 majors did you did you major in when you were at Hampton? My first one? Well, we're doing yeah, two so you, know, you know, we changed, you know, as college we changed three, four times over. Which, which one did you end up uh, ending with? Uh, I ended up with a uh, major in sociology, sociology emphasis in criminal justice. Oh, okay. And I was always a business major. I started briefly as marketing for probably mm, maybe a semester, and then I went to uh, just general business management. Okay. And so what what was your experience like at Hampton University? Like what, when, you think, when you think back on those days, what was it like being a student at Hampton? The biggest thing to me, which I just, I really prided myself of enduring, you know, through my years in corporate management and being in South Africa, was gaining a sense of self and not relying on being the only or the first African-American or black in the room or in the classroom, meaning, like, you couldn't get a C on your report and feel good about it and say, well, I only got a C because I was black, you know. Mm you got to see because you didn't do your work because everybody in the room was black. You know, so when you got your A, it wasn't because you were black, or you got your F, it wasn't because you were black. You knew it was because of the quality of work that you did. And I thought that was important because I, I had a friend who wound up not coming back after the first semester because of that. She had always been the token black in her school, you know, so she could get a part for the play because they needed a black. She mm-hmm. won an office on student government because they needed a black. 
you know, so she was always used to being like the black person, you know, amongst the crowd. And when she got to mm-hmm. Hampton, was she was nobody. I mean, you know, like everybody was somebody. Everybody was homecoming queen. Everybody was football quarterback. Everybody was, you know, basketball slam dunker. You know, everybody was somebody before they got to campus. And so just being black was not going to pay your bills, if you will. You know, you just couldn't survive off of, well, I am the black person who is articulate and well-spoken or dresses nice, because everybody's articulate, well-spoken, and dresses nice. And that's what I really loved, and it helped me, I think, adapt to all my different environments. A lot of people say, well, I don't like black colleges because it's not the real world, but yet those are the same people that, you know, aren't comfortable in different environments. You know, Mm. they they want diversity, and that's why they chose a non-HBCU, but if you're not comfortable in who you are and what you stand for and what you believe in, it doesn't matter how many other people are around you, you're not going to you're not going to shine because you're trying to fit in instead of be in, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you know, it's so interesting because research uh, demonstrates that that graduates from HBCUs, when they look at every field and in, 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 in endeavor, when it comes to African Americans who are at the leadership, the leadership level in these fields, most of them, the vast majority of them, are graduates from historically black colleges and universities. And and I think it goes to what you just said that when you look at a black campus and you look at who's going to be the editor of the school newspaper, who's going to be the president of um, student government, who's going to be Miss uh, Hampton or Miss Clark or whatever school, who's going to be in charge of your different clubs and your organization. Well, if it's a predominantly black college, it's going to be a black person. So you learn not just from your academics in terms of what's happening in your classes, but you have more opportunity to take advantage of leadership positions and not from a perspective of tokenism, but because you earned your spot. And and be, and in earning that spot and keeping that spot, you have to learn the leadership skills that go along with it. And I think that those skills help us as we go further on in life. Um, Thomas, with your experience, you said at the beginning that the, the that you had been recruited for other other football teams and uh, at different schools, and you you came to Hampton, I guess, sort of like the fourth, and it was one of the best things that you experienced. But again, being in a, in, in that environment, which you said that you know sharpened you up in terms of your competitive skills and your spot on a team and balancing your books and everything else that you had to do with being an athlete and a scholar. Yes, I think so. Um, uh, truthfully. Uh, coming out of high school, I really uh, didn't have any ambitions as in really graduating because uh, Joey and I came from basically totally different backgrounds. So my ambition, my ambition uh, was not—I mean, I didn't have any ambitions really to graduate. Well, well, my, I'm not going to let, let that go, Thomas. Give me a little bit more. What do you mean by that? Totally different background. What was you? What kind of young man were you? Because there might be a young man out there listening who needs to hear your story. Well, I, I wasn't that 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 game banger or nothing like that. 
But I uh, know I was I was pretty good in football, and my and my ambitions were to play um, NFL. And 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 I just thought college was the tool for me to go. But I never really put uh, NFL and, and college together. Okay. And, but in, in 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 order for me to play, well, once I got to college, once. In order for me to play college, I had to go to class to get the grades to be eligible. Mm-hmm. Now, I, uh, about my junior, late my junior year, that's when I actually decided that I really thought about graduating. Because uh, I met with my um, my um, advisor, and we was going over uh, um, over my schedule. And I noticed how close I was about to graduate, and I was very shocked because, again, I didn't have no desire to graduate, going to school to graduate. I went to play ball. Yeah. And uh, and all of the friends that I hung with in college, um, we did, you know, what college people do, but all of us did graduate. I mean, everybody graduated. If I'm not mistaken, out of my class of, of, we probably had about forty, about forty-five freshmen. I'm, I'm just guessing about forty, say forty freshmen on our team came that year. Uh, only two of us graduated, as myself and my fraternity brother. Mm. Yep, I think if. if the number may be a little high. Say between thirty and forty. Only two of us actually uh, graduated, at least from Hampton. They may have went on to graduate from another school or something, but actually graduated from Hampton. There's only two of us that uh, that graduated from Hampton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So would you say that your coaches and your professors uh, pushed you uh, to? towards that goal of graduation, and I guess the reason I'm asking is because I often hear that that uh, that that one of the benefits to going to a historically black college university is that you have professors who look like you would have a have a deeper sense of like this is about racial pride and and and, and showing academic excellence from from your people. I mean, did you get that experience when you were on campus? Yes, I did. And I guess one other thing that that I may have missed that. Well, again, when I came from uh, and when when I um, attended Hampton, and I wasn't used to uh, black folks being that successful. Mm. All my, my all the, most of my my black folks who who were quote unquote was successful, they indulge in in the wrong thing. Mm. Uh, like. You know, so but once I got to Hampton, I was very, uh, I guess they could say green hood or whatever you want to call it, and talking with people about what their parents doing all this and all of that, and um, telling everybody they're lie. You know, I'm just straight out telling you lie. Your, your parents don't do that. For uh, 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 once, whether it was my sophomore year, her freshman year, we all were talking about. In front of BC, uh, on the BC steps, talking, uh-huh. and the young lady, and the young lady say, um, "This is probably like on a Tuesday." She said, um, 
I might fly home this weekend. I said, fly home? I said, you have a ticket yet? She said, no, my dad had a, have a, has a, um, a private plane. I said, get out of here. You know what I mean? So I actually made her go upstairs, uh, get a picture of the uh, plane with her standing by, and like I was, green or whatever you want to call it, I told her that, hell, I could stand by a plane. I could take a picture. But as time went on, you know, her friends and uh, uh, we became close because that net, I, I, uh, the, the people who I was hanging around with, I mean, their parents were very successful in their time. Uh, so I went to start staying with them, like, on different breaks that are going back home for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever the case may be, and I started mm-hmm. seeing how these people were living, black people were living. And, and, and it just amazed me how they were living. I, I never really fathomed uh, uh, black folks really live, living like that. Yes, but that just shows you that 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 shows you that um that you know that we can we 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 have ourselves have to kill the stereotypes that you know when you say black it's strictly urban and poverty. I mean there are a lot of progressive families that have that and and traditional families that have had success. You know, uh, I guess with how whatever way you would gauge success in terms of economic success or what have you, and we're doing some really powerful things out there. And I think that's one of the benefits of going to a historically black college and university is the networking, you know, the opportunity to meet people and you develop these lifelong relationships and friendships uh, that carry themselves uh, for, like, like I said, throughout your life. And, 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 and this is how businesses uh, develop. We're going to take a, a, a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about your business, HBCU Kids, what it represents, and, um, you know, what you're doing to continue to build that relationship around the HBCU experience. So we'll be back right after this break. This portion of The Keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. On Blog Talk Radio was brought to you by The Fluffs Present the Alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five star rating on Amazon.com. This portion of the key was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The women's shop features stylish tunics, suits and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect 
gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French-cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Mold 107, fashions and that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. The Keys 107 Radio Guide. The following reside within the Eastern Standard Time Zone. Sunday evenings from 8 to 9.30, unlawful captives, issues within and without the prison industrial complex with your host, Jason X, and special guest hosts, Brother Richard Muhammad and Brother Abdul Salam Muhammad. Monday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., build your business with Greg Jones, hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad, secrets and strategies of business building, credit and finance. Tuesday, question, when did Noah build the ark? Answer, before the flood, disaster preparedness for community awareness with your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad, from 4 to 5, 20 p.m., Tuesdays from 5.30 to 6.30. Join the worldwide Peacekeepers Movement with the Peacekeepers Roll Call, Captain Dennis Muhammad and the Peacekeepers, hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad. Tuesdays from 7 to 9, Respect for Life, with your host, Brother Leroy, exploring timely and important topics and guests fostering knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Wednesday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. It's Urban. It's Popular. It's Hoodrich Magazine with your host, J.R. Strong. Join the Keys 107, Divas of Culture, Sisters Michelle Matir and Aisha Karifa Smart for Creatively Speaking, bringing you the best in diasporic art, culture, leisure, and spirituality from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Thursday evening, our flagship show, The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities with your host, Sister Rafika Muhammad and Brother James T. Muhammad from 6 p.m. to 7.45. From 8 to 9 p.m., join hosts, Sister LaShawn Allen Muhammad and Brother Malik Green for Black Reconstruction, building the black community with bricks of knowledge and mortar of love. From 9.30 to 10.30, True School with your host, Shango Blake, as he brings parents, students, and educators together to deconstruct the school-to-prison pipeline. Friday evenings will be a Keys 107 special marathon. Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m., State of Affairs with your host, Stan Smith, Culture and Political Affairs of the Caribbean Diaspora. 7 to 9.30, The Communicators with your host, Black Leroy, Everything Black from a Black Perspective, The Keys 107, Unlocking the Doors to Endless Possibilities, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Keys 107, or call in at 213-943-3618, email us at thekeys107 at gmail.com. If The Keys 107 isn't on your blog talk radio, then your blog talk radio isn't really on. The Keys 107 Network now returns us to True School with your host, Samuel Blake. Welcome back, welcome back to True School. It is your host, again, Brother Shango, Shango Blake, a.k.a. Mr. B, a.k.a. the Hip Hop Principal. 
I want to invite you to call in with a question, comment. Uh, the number is 213-943-3618. Press number one on your keypad. If you have a question or comment for our guests or you'd like to just share with us your experience with uh, historically black colleges and universities from a parent perspective, from a student perspective, let us know what you think. Um, Sister Joanne. Joan. Joan, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Okay. Um, Joan, when, when we, we, we had a conversation off here, and you said something to me that I thought was very significant. Um, you talked about the percentage of blacks in America with college degrees. Could you share that information with our listening audience? Sure. Um, what most people look at is the stats that are thrown out. Like they'll say, you know, like 40% of African Americans have a college degree, blah, blah, blah. But when you're looking at the economy and getting a job, I ask people, how many jobs say blacks only apply? Mm. None. So to look at jobs and to look at the economy and to look at the statistics, you have to evolve with the times. You can't use segregation percentages in a 2012 environment. So mm. what you've got to do is you've got to look at how many people are in the United States and how many people are African American with a college degree or above. You divide that number by the total number of people in this country because when you're competing for a job, especially online, it's open to anybody who applies. Right? Mm-hmm. There's not Hispanic yeah. jobs or white jobs or women, you know, the, the job is a job. That number is only 2%. And 2% is not enough to taint a quart of milk. So it says to me that there needs to be more African Americans with a college degree or above, not less. And I particularly use that percentage when I'm talking to people who say black colleges have have come and gone, they've they've done their deeds, they're no longer needed, you know, uh, white schools are the way to go, blah, blah, blah. And my argument is we shouldn't be looking at closing any opportunities because we only make up 2% of the population at large. Mm. We need to have all, every, and any opportunity to have the credential. Wow. So... This this two percent is reflective of the total black population. No, it's the total population of the United States. Okay. As your as your as your divisor, and your numerator uh-huh. are the number of blacks with a college degree or above. Hmm. So if you look at it another way, if you had a pie, thirteen percent of the U.S. population is black. Correct. That's, yeah. that's the statistic we most hear. If 40% of or 20% of blacks, meaning 2 out of 10, have a, a college degree, then it has to be multiplied by that 13%. So you can never have a number more than 6%, period, because it, the number is definitely not... 50%. 50% of blacks do not have a college degree. 50% of Asian Americans have a college degree, meaning if you took 100 Asians and put them in a room, 50 would have a college degree or above, 50 would not. If you put 
100 African Americans in a room or blacks in a room, you're looking more at 20 would have a college degree or above, and 80 would not. Mm. Uh, so, some, so some people say, well, I thought the number was more like 20% or 24%. 20% of African Americans, but there are no jobs just for African Americans. So you've got to look at where are we in the whole pie called United States adult population. That is, I've I've never heard it broken down mathematically like that, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm gonna nobody get breaks it down like that, and I and I, I nobody yeah. breaks it down like that. And, and that's, you know, that's my it, my yeah. degree was my degree was in international finance at University of Michigan for my graduate degree. So that's all I did was crunch numbers. I had a nickname called Crunchy because you give me some numbers and I'll start crunching out the stats. So <laughs> in looking at you know, should we do something like HBCU Kids, and how should we try to reach our market? You know, people say, oh, you should get on TV, or you should do this, you should do that. I had to look at what is the reach, you know, where am I trying to fish? And when I realized that I'm looking at a, a pool that's 2% strong, and that's not just HBCU graduates, that's a black person from any college, and that's wow. any degree. So then when you look at well, well, hold on before you do that because we have a, uh, we have a caller. I want to get your question, and I want to ask you a little bit more about this percentage. percentage. Caller, can you uh, tell us your tell us your name and and what's your question? Yes, hi, my name is Shree, but I'm calling from New York, and um, I just want to thank you, Brother Shango, for um, having this radio program and these talks because it is so important to us in our community. And I also want to thank your guests. I mean, you guys are really intelligent, and, you know, I'm learning a lot. Thank but you. Uh, my comment is, yes, absolutely crunchy. <laughs> now, my my comment is, actually, uh, my daughter actually attends Clark University, uh, Clark Atlanta, which is an HBCU, and um, she just finished her first semester. And I just want to say that, I mean, watching her grow, within one semester from attending this college is really amazing to me as a mother. I mean, the culture, in addition to the academics, is so important for our youth, especially in today's time, to know who you are once you, you know, when you're coming out of college and going into the workforce. I think it's so key and it's so important. And just as a mother, I'm just sitting back watching so proud. I mean, my daughter couldn't wait to get back to school. You know, she was just not home for the month break, and every day she's like, I'm ready to go back because it's such an experience. It's, it's a total experience. So I just want to thank you guys, and I just wanted to call for that, with that comment. Oh, well, we, thank you, we thank you for that comment, and, and thank you for sharing your experience. And, uh, you know, I've listened to the comment of, of the last caller, and I'm thinking to myself, if you, if you remember what we spoke about in the beginning, um, we talked about how, and you, and you had just said it that, that some people think that historically black colleges are not relevant. Um, the percentage of now blacks going to historically black colleges are dropping. Uh, you have more and more colleges that are faced with financial hardship, uh, and they're taking uh, the immigrant populations or, or as students or whiteness perspective students. Do you think that? Uh, that uh, these historically black colleges are, are losing, are beginning to lose their traditional black base. Um, I would say that that is a concern that 
I hear a lot from people, but the data doesn't really match it. I don't have the most recent numbers, but um, the numbers that I have said that 84% of the 283,000 students that attend HBCUs are still black. Um, the mm -hmm. non-black enrollment um, in 2001 was about 16%. I do know, like, uh, West Virginia State, that's now predominantly white, although it used to be an HBCU. And so a lot of people use that as the, um, you know, example of what's going to happen to the rest of the black colleges. Um, but, like, Tommy feels that, you know, it's supply and demand. If you have a product and, you know, white people, Asians, whatever, Latinos, they see it and they want, you know, to take advantage of it, I mean, mm -hmm. you you kind of be foolish to say, well, no, we're not going to have any diversity on our campus. We're only going to have black students. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even realize that, you know, non-blacks can get scholarships to attend, you know, a lot of the HBCUs for athletics um, where they might not even get to play on, you know, a majority white team, but, you know, at an HBCU, you know, they're a minority. So they get a minority scholarship because, all of the schools that receive federal money, they cannot discriminate based on race. So they can't um, not have non-blacks on their campus. Um, I think the alumni play a, a strong role because, uh, you know, who goes on the board and, and all of that, you know, I think a lot of times it comes down to, you know, the money, who's funding the school, where the programs are, um, you know, what are the programs catering to. Um, so I don't think I don't think it's a real concern. I think it's a distraction. I mean, to be to be point blank honest, I think it's just a distraction on who's going to the schools. I think if the if the schools are generating the product, you know, they're putting out the quality, the the students are going to come. But if the schools are not putting out the quality, I hear more and more of my peers saying, "I'm not sending my kids to an HBCU." It was good enough for me, but it's not good enough for my child. Mm. And so then what are the schools supposed to do? Yeah, you know, you you you, you, you raised some very good points. And, um, I, you know, I, 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 I hear the same kind of discussion uh, going on in terms of uh, HBCUs and, and their student enrollment. I do know that, that there has been a lot in terms of uh, – Financial hardships for these schools and struggling to to to, to, to compete in the in the twenty first century, um, you know, based upon a number of issues. Um, and and uh, in, in the beginning, we were talking about President Obama and him signing an executive order to rebuild the infrastructure of the schools to to give it the necessary support. Um, do you think that the HBCUs will survive, and what role will alumni play in introducing the next generation to the black college experience? I, I think the next, um, the, we're in 2013, I think the next seven years are going to play out on what's going to happen because um, President Obama won't be in office then, but he's already laid out a vision um, and quantified it. There's a website that he even has for all the 105 or he might have 103 HBCUs, and his goal is by 2020, 60% of the adult population will have 
some type of career-ready certification, either a college degree or a technical degree or associate's degree, but 60% of the population will be participating in a higher level of preparedness for a career. And the HBCUs are expected to increase their graduates by 200,000 um, graduates. Mm. And so in order for them to be able to do that, he actually shows them on this website um, where they are now in terms of how many they're graduating and what they've got to bump that number up to by 2020 in order to get there. Well, mm. for some people, 2020 is like way off into, you know, the future. But you think about it, that's only seven years from today. So that means that any child sitting in school in the seventh grade, I believe it is, is is part of this equation, meaning that in seven years it's expected that they would be graduating from a college. So let me do my math backwards. I have that right. See, four years would be a ninth grader coming out. So actually, no, it's, it's the kids that are sophomores, I believe, in high school right now would have mm-hmm. to be coming out of college in 2020. So if they're not already in the mindset of attending an HBCU or being prepared to go to college, period, you know, we're going to have a shortfall in 2020. So I think that's going to uh, probably determine where are the HBCUs. Are they helping us get to that 200,000? Because the 200,000 number that he has, that's just for HBCUs. That's not for the non-HBCUs. He's got another number for them. I think it's like in a million, like it's, it's you know, 1.5 million or something like that. But for the HBCUs by themselves, he needs them to step up their game and have 200,000 more graduates by 2020. Hmm. Wow. I, I want to switch focus, uh, and I want to really now talk to you about HBCU Kids and your website, hbcukids.com. Uh, what, is, what is what is this uh, business model about? That's for either one of you. Uh, before 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 we get there, I guess I would like to address something. Um, we 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 I always tell my wife this. Uh, we we talking about HBCU uh, black universities. I this is my prediction prediction. I haven't. Uh, read it in any books of anything of sort. I I believe in about twenty I would say about twenty say twenty forty mm-hmm. most most blacks was it thirteen uh, uh, maybe a little more around that time, around twenty forty, most blacks most people who attend, half the people who attend HBCUs, possibly going to be biracial. Mm. That's what I, my prediction. I think half of the people in right by 2040, uh, around that era, half the people probably going to be biracial. Mm. Did I get the number for them? I don't know. But uh, that's, that's, that's what I predict. Okay. And and so his his feeling is that this separate culture, um, I don't know, do you feel it's at risk or you feel it's just inevitable? We go back and forth on this all the time. Um, yeah, because, you know, I'm from the South, and um, some words I use 
I cannot use it on the radio station. But, um, you know, and, and I, I, I tell my wife this about I have three daughters. And I, 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 she think I'm joking. I say, I told her more than likely, hmm. more than likely they may be married to a white man. Than a black a black man. By time by time they um by time for them to get married. So I'm just trying to get myself right for it. I don't want to go off right. And and that kind of leads us to why HBCU kids where it came from. It came from that place. Um, part of it came from that place of okay, do we want to sit and yap about this or do we want to do something proactively about it? And okay. one day our daughters, we had um, just gotten settled into a new home, and they were about four or five years old, and, you know, they see how we interact with each other. And so, you know, we were on this parcel of like 40 acres, no neighbors, nobody was around us, it was just us. And, you know, they said, well, you know, you two knew each other when you were, you know, when you were our age, and you played together, and now you're married, you know, who are we going to marry? You know, who who do we play with? Who are we going to play with that we're going to marry? And it, it kind of spooked us. We looked at each other like, what in the world? Why are you thinking about that? You know, but behind closed doors, he and I started talking about it. And, you know, we're like, wow, you know, who are they going to marry? You know, with all the statistics and all the things that are, you know, uh, going on about black men in jail, black men on drugs, black men killing each other, yada, yada, yada. And a combination of, you know, other things that happened, we were like, oh, you know what, we got to put a stake in the ground. We got to do something about this. Because for every munchkin is what I call them, that we save, that could be your son-in-law. You know, that could be my son-in-law. So, I mean, it, it may sound bizarre, but that was kind of like the place where HBCU kids was born. It was like if we want our culture and we want our children to experience, you know, the love and the happiness that we feel that we gain from being at Hampton, then we can't yap about it, you know, and, and waiting 20 years is not going to work either. we got to start working on this now while they're little and the, the little boys are little and their parents, are, you know, are young or younger or open-minded, and we got to start planting and sowing some seeds so that by 2028 or 2040 or whenever it is, you know, we've done our part. We don't have to look at them and say, oh, well, you know, what can you do? We did something, you know. That's so that's kind of like what, what launched the business model. And, and, that's, and that's, you know, and a lot of people go to school and find their mates. You know, they find, they, they, they go to college, not, not to say that they go to college with the purpose of, of, of finding a mate, although in our history that, that once was a tradition, but there are a lot of people that go to college, and in college they find their husband or their wife or what have you. So I, 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 I want to say one of the things that are most impressive to me when, when I looked at um, both uh, the, the organization of HBCU Kids and I believe uh, the program Black Parents Connect was that there is an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, a business developed around real social change. And... Uh, I've, I've, I've been a firm believer that, you know, that we can create businesses by servicing the needs of our, our community. And um, 
With so, would you would you lay it out in terms of how many jobs exist and and when you really look at the population of people and the percentages of jobs, there's many more people than the actual jobs that exist. And then when you break it down into qualifications and you look at how many uh, blacks have degrees, I mean, we're really not in a position to take advantage of some of these jobs that 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 are that are out there. And yeah. I really think about the the the, the importance of any program, any college program, uh, teaching business, teaching entrepreneurship as a part of, of as a part of the curriculum. I mean, it should almost be mandatory to have that as a minor, regardless of what you major in. Now, I want you to tell me this story because I read it on your website. Now, I'm going to quote it, and then you can fill in the blanks. It says uh, when I went to your website that that one of the Things that motivated you guys to to develop uh, HBCUKids.com is that you had a rude experience with a customer service person at an HBCU football game on November fifth, two thousand and five, and a team of you parents founded HBCU Kids in response to that. So, and the reason I bring this up is I'm not really concerned about this. It's just that most people have rude experiences and they walk away and complain and don't do anything about it. But this sets you guys into a, 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 a mode of being proactive. And I want to hear about that because I think that out of these kind of experiences, we can create the kind of experience we want and become and make it a successful business. That was it. <laughs> Yeah, that was. I want to know. I want to know from you. Well, the vendor, the vendor. What, what, what happened? What was the discussion like? And then how did this go from being uh, treated rudely to now organizing and mobilizing yourself into an actual business? Well, it was, um, you know, like a whole lot of stuff happened at the same time. We got hit by a hurricane. It blew the roof off our house. Our clothes uh, got messed up. You know, a whole bunch of stuff happened that. If normally I go into a, a football game with Bethune Cookman versus Hampton, and I asked the vendor for a shirt for us and a shirt for our girls because everything got messed up. And he said, I don't carry shirts for kids. And I said, wow, you must have sold out. And he says, no, I didn't sell out. I don't carry stuff for kids. And I said, well, look at all these kids running around. you got to be kidding me. Why wouldn't you carry stuff for kids? And he says, lady, maybe you haven't noticed, but babies don't carry wallets. And I said, a normal situation, I might have forgotten about it, but because we were sitting in the dark for, like, weeks with no electricity, no power, we couldn't go to work, um, that that sentiment just kept ringing in my ears over and over again. And I said, you know, if Disney World, if Walt Disney felt like that, there'd be no Disney World. If Nickelodeon mm-hmm. felt like that, there'd be no Dora to Explore. You know, every other culture puts their children up on a pedestal and creates a whole industry around them. But why are our children only an industry when it comes to ADHD or drugs or anything negative? Our children are marketed for that. But anything positive or with excellence, our children have to be white. And that's where the kids start saying, you know, I have to act white or I have to think white or I have to be white. And the reason why is very easy, because the standard of excellence has been held up to be white. And anything that's deficient, or anything that's backwards or anything that's behind behind or falling behind or neglected or whatever, then it's okay to be black. And, mm. you know, it, 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 
I had a conversation with God, and, you know, Tommy and I had this conversation. I said the kids kept asking us, you know, what about us? Who are we going to marry? And I said, you know, we got to do something about this. You know, we've got to flip the script. Everything that is negative is not black. Everything that is positive is not white. Wow. You know, though, I have to say that is such a powerful statement. For you. I mean, what you're doing as parents, I'm so impressed because you're creating you know, you're you're, you're taking uh, uh, self love, and you're and you're not only preaching it to your children, but now you're creating a like you said a business around the the, the success and the beauty and the intelligence of our young people, and that is so critical. Um, and the way you just laid it out in terms of Dorothy Explorer and Disney, yes, we can be producers and create our own reality. Uh, we have another caller on uh, who who's called in. Caller, can you give us your name and where you're calling from? Yeah, my name is Magalie Williams. I'm part of HBCU Kids. And I've been trying to HBCU get on, but it, it, I've, been, I've been getting cut off. So I've been yeah. listening for a while there. Oh, well, well, what is your question or comment? And thank you for calling in. Well, I'm, I'm part of HBCU Kids, and... I like the comment, you know, I was listening to you, and it, it's kind of true about um, how our children will be there in the other, you know, it's going to be another biracial relationship because my daughter is a, is a good example. She's at the hospital, and she she said uh, to me one time, she said, Mom, you know, uh, I should have found a black doctor at the hospital. And I'm like, why? She said, you don't, every time I walk in there, they always think I'm a nurse. Everybody looked mm-hmm. at me, they said, oh, you should be a doctor, and you're Haitian, and you're black, and, you know, my daughter says, like, you know, there's no, there's, you know, which is true, there's no black man at the hospital, she said. Most of the doctors are either white or maybe Hispanic or, you know, mm-hmm. but not, she, that, she, that's true. I see that. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense where it's going to be a lot of biracial in, in, in 20 years. It's, I believe it because, you well, know, I can see it now. You know, I wanted to just agree with your comment that you made about 20 years from now. Well, we thank you for your call, and we thank you for your comment and, and, and sharing. Yeah. And, and I want to say, you know, um, what, what Maggie was saying is, is, is I, I believe it's, it is a real concern, and I think that creating this kind of a program and, and developing this kind of network and, like you said, planting the seed becomes critical in terms of uh, uh the relationships that our children will get in and the kind of lives that they will lead. I know for a fact that uh, water seeks its own level. So if you have a brother who's in the street and he's, he's uh, involved in, 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 in things that are self-destructive and you have a young lady who's in college and who's going to school and who's in the that those two things, those, that water is not going to meet. It's, it's, it's an imbalance. And we have too many of our young, young men who are, they have been involved with the criminal justice system, involved with the juvenile justice system. And when you go to the colleges, and Thomas, you remember this, when we was in school, we used to sit around and, 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 and go over the ratio of men, men, females to male. I think everybody in college uh, would say, hey, man, it's 12 to 1. i got to get 12 girlfriends or something like that because there was such an imbalance. And then the impact of that is that you – that you, you develop a, 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 what do I want to say, 
the group of men who now feel privileged because, well, I'm successful, so I'm above the fray, so I can have to pick up the living and, and, and run around because, you know, uh, it's 12 to 1 here. And then the higher you go up, you see less black men and you see more black women. So I think planting the seed at this, at this critical young age, but not just planting the seed, but developing this business model where it becomes something where not only do you make it a business, but now you can invest back into community to create programs that help our young black men on a path to college uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful thing. And I wanted to know um, if there are those who are listening who want to become more involved with HBCU kids or, you know, purchase your products or just get involved with the Black Parents Connect movement, how can they get in touch with you guys? Easy. Um, our website, blackparentconnect.com, is um, where I invite everybody to, you know, visit, come. There's games. There's, different, there's something there for everybody um, at blackparentconnect.com. And hbcukidswithaz.com is our boutique. Um, we invite anyone that knows someone that's having a birthday this year, um, particularly babies that are on their way, um, we ha- we offer something for everyone, and we customize our gifts. A lot of them are personalized. And for just information, if you're hungry for just any information about education, um, HBCUs, family culture, um, basically anything to give your child the best that is available online, um, we invite you to be a part of HBCUKids.com, which is with an S. And the two different websites, one is Strictly Boutique, and the other one is um, parent resource information and education to just raise awareness of the HBCUs because we realize that we can't just focus on the 2%. We've got to grow that, that percentage. We've got to reach the single mom that maybe dropped out of high school. If she's got a munchkin that's two, three years old, we, we've got to reach that little boy. We've got to reach that little girl because yeah. if we plant that seed to them, you know, um, just by them hearing – there's a book um, that we sell called uh, Hello, Maroon Tiger, which is a, a baby book about um, Morehouse. And I introduced it to an after-school tutoring program that Tommy and I were running for a couple of years. And one of the little boys, you know, his mom's a single mom. She didn't go to high She didn't go to college. I'm not sure if she finished high school. Um, she was on baby number three. And he just lit up to that book. And every time he came in the program, he mm. wanted that book. And, you know, I put him on the spot and I asked our pastor who was over the program, you know, what is it about that book that you like? And he said, it's about a Morehouse college. And he said, I didn't know anything about college. He said, but Mm. I I, I like Morehouse. He said, I think I want to go to Morehouse one day. And this was coming from a little second grader. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, wow. For the mouth of babe. Um, Now, again, tell us, the difference between the two websites, and can you repeat the information about how to contact you again, um, and which one is okay. which? Okay. You can reach us by email, um, info at blackparentconnect.com or info at hbcukids.com. Um, you can reach us on the website at www.blackparentconnect.com or www dot hbcukids with a z dot com 
or www.hbcukids.com. And the difference is that Black Parent Connect, is the goal is to just reach out and have a venue to contact black parents throughout the world on issues that are related to their children, being future dreamers, leaders, and achievers. Whether or not you're, you know, you may not even care about black colleges, you may not care about college, whatever. Our goal is to just connect as many people as possible who care about the the self-esteem and the, the, the healthiness of a mental self-concept of our children, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll deal with the college and the education and all that part later. We just want to make sure we're all connected. Um, the HBCU Kids with a Z is a boutique. It's a gift boutique. Um, I go out every day, 24-7, trying to find the best products available on the market for children of color, and I try to get them in our boutique. So it's always evolving. It just depends on what new entrepreneurs out there with something new. Uh, there's a, a entrepreneur who has a book out called My Black Skin Is. He has a line of T-shirts that have, like, My Black Skin Is Educated, My Black Skin Is Learning, and he now has a book that um, portrays different careers that our children um, should look into. And so um, uh, we, we, we're a proud uh, distributor of his products. And um, HBCUKidsWithAnS.com is our resource site. So it, it kind of connects our blogs. Um, it connects um, data, some of the statistics that I quoted. Um, all that information is on HBCUKids.com with an S. Brothers and sisters, please, uh, you know, this, the information that are on these websites are invaluable. I, I had an opportunity to check out. Um, each one of these, and the information is just, it, it, it really is, not only is it, is it a lot of information, but there's interactive things that you can do on these websites. Uh, there's a whole networking thing that takes place. And, again, we have to support those who are trying to, you know, we should be in the business. And let me say this, be in the business of uplifting our community, okay? And so, when you have people who are out there, not, they're not trying to sell uh, uh, death to our community, sell things that are going to hurt us, drugs, alcohol, whatever. They're selling something or marketing something that is going to actually help our children. And not only are they marketing and selling that from a business standpoint, but then there's a resource that is built in just to share information for us as a community. So we need to support people like this and, 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 and push them because this has a direct impact on our children. I really want to take the opportunity to thank both of you for being on my show this evening. The wealth of information that you gave was critical. And uh, I hope to have you on again. And look out for us because you're going to see us on that Black College tour. And when we come through Virginia, you know, I'm going to be looking for you guys. Oh, thank you so much for inviting us. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, we take the story for granted, so it's kind of like just like commonplace for us. So, you know, I was just really, you know, excited that you thought what we were doing was important enough to even be on the show. So thank you. Uh, thank you again. Um, and thank you, uh, Brother Thomas, uh, for your, your contribution as well. I want to take time now to uh, first thank uh, our guest again from HBCU Kids, 
Uh, I want to thank uh, the audience, you, for listening to this segment of True School. I want to thank our production and engineer crew, Brother Forrest, Brother James, Brother Jason, Sister Rafika, Brother J.R. Strong, uh, and uh, our sponsors. Um, this show will be archived, so literally maybe five minutes after the show is over, you will be able to have the link, email it to your friends, Share this show with as many people as possible because we're trying to raise awareness within our community. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always email me at www.shungleblake.com. Um, I really hope that this particular show is shared because we really need to get our children uh, into these schools and give them a fighting chance to make, make it in this society. So this is... Uh, concludes our segment of True School Radio this week. See you next week. For the show, I'm out. Peace. Bye. Right now. Right. Yeah. Welcome to the movement, baby. We're going to change education. Check out shungleblake.com. I'll say it again, shungleblake.com. Teach and reading uniquely to reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous. To the people across this nation, eagerly anticipating a sound from the streets that's so unique, it'll transform education. This is school, the killing field, where they kill the love of learning and not children for real. That's the deal. Now we got to change things around, close gaps down. This is a new sound, true school. This is this radio show, shovelvic.com, flow, case you wait, no. And now we going to change things, one school at a time, one rhyme at a time. Yeah, we going to shine. Time to shine media, yes. Yeah, we've been blessed, putting suckers to the test. So, teaching, reading, so uniquely. That's right. Gotta make you think deeply. Uh, teaching, reading uniquely. To reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous. To the people across this nation.